the core of the world's wisdom traditions which underlies all the world's great religious faiths and whereas the faiths are divergent and different this core that he posits, the perennial philosophy is one and the same for all of them Ken Wilber, who you may also have heard of, has come up with a pretty much similar conclusion in books like uh, A Brief History of Everything and Grace and Grit. And he's actually come up with a very handy seven-point idiot's guide to the perennial philosophy and what, what it means. So I'm going to give you that. Um, this is from Grace and Grit, and it's actually from an, an interview he conducted. So he boils it down very concisely into seven points. And he says, what the perennial philosophy says is this. One, spirit exists. And two, spirit is found within. Told you it was concise. Three, most of us don't realise this spirit within, however, because we are living in a world of sin, separation and duality, a fallen or illusory state. Four, there is a way out. There is a path to our liberation. Five, if we follow this path to its conclusion... The result is a rebirth or enlightenment, a direct experience of spirit within, which, six, marks the end of sin and suffering, and which, seven, issues in social action of mercy and compassion on the behalf of all sentient beings. So, obviously a very simplified version of what it's all about, but I think he does pretty well there. The point I'd add, I think, is a sort of maybe the 3A three was most of us don't realise the spirit within however because we're living in a world of sin and separation and duality but I think there comes a point for most people who consciously start to follow a spiritual path and they suddenly go uh what's this you know what's wrong I'm not happy things aren't right I may have gold records on the wall as Lennon did but this is this isn't what it's about this is this is dross there's something rotten in the state of Denmark as found that put it so there comes a point where your quest begins your personal quest to find the spirit within begins and it comes from dissatisfaction it comes from realising the fallen nature of of the world as it is the the separation, the duality and uh, that's important that's your, your kind of leaping off point because a lot of art and literature is about the dissatisfaction and pointing out things are wrong and then in some cases and I'd I'd say that's where the art becomes more valid they then endeavour to resolve this problem Uh, uh, a classic example would be The Wasteland of T.S. Eliot The, The Wasteland poem itself pretty much was about this dislocated fallen state with with very just a few hints maybe of there being something which could resolve this and then later on with with Eliot's four quartets the emphasis is is more on the resolution the finding of the spirit within that's if I've read it right you know okay so the other aspect of the perennial philosophy is that this this stuff about immediate experience which sometimes both both Huxley and Wilbur come to surprisingly similar conclusions about the perennial philosophy Huxley says there are two main kinds of religion there's the religion of immediate experience the religion of direct acquaintance with the divine in the world and then there's the religion of symbols the religion of knowledge about the divine rather than direct acquaintance with it now to me, and, and I think to Huxley, the perennial philosophy is about the direct experience and then using the direct experience. Uh, Wilbur goes even further. He, he defines the perennial philosophy as being about what he calls esoteric religion as opposed to exoteric religion, which is the religion of the churches, the religion of you know, the separate faiths. Exoteric or outer religion is mythic religion, if you believe all the myths you are saved this type of religion he says has nothing to do with mystical religion or esoteric religion esoterical or mystical religion is a matter of direct experience or personal awareness esoteric religion is a set of personal experiments that you conduct scientifically in the laboratory of your own awareness and this experiment is meditation well I mean anybody who's 
part of the perennial philosophy will be saying you make the make the uh, experiment uh, there's I haven't got it with me but Milarepa the, the Buddhist saint yeah. says yeah. experiment you know yeah, do the experiment well. meditate so um, that's as a sort of preface and it also helps explain why I'm going to be looking mainly at John Lennon and George Harrison's works this time round and Lennon is the man who sang Imagine No Religion and you know um, what's the line in Working Class Hero keep you doped with religion and sex and TV he very much is hostile to the exoteric religion uh, yet he's very much interested in the cultivation of the religion within if I can might as well get this quote in here this will put him more in context this is, this is a quote from Lenin from an interview in 1969 I think a lot of bad things have happened in the name of the church and in the name of Christ I think people who need to go to church should go and the others who know the church is in your own head should visit that temple because that's where the source is we're all God Christ said the kingdom of heaven is within you and the Indians say that and the Zen people say that we're all God I'm not a God or the God but we're all God and we're all potentially divine and potentially evil we have everything within us and the kingdom of heaven is nigh and within us and if you look hard enough you'll see it so to me although Lenin as I say in various forms his hostility to exoteric religion crops up he's very much interested in this cultivation of esoteric religion in making the experiment himself and he starts to transmit it his conclusions in the songs and his conclusion is basically that the underlying unity behind everything is love okay we'll start with a really early song um, does anybody know this song it's called There's a Place it's on the first album it's on Please Please Me February 1963 right so if you know and you remember the lyrics don't answer this question which I'm going to put to you the, the opening lines of the song are there's a place where I can go when I feel low when I feel blue so this is the question you mustn't answer if you know the song what's that place going to be in a early 1960s song rock song pop song where the kind of the basic tradition that the Beatles are coming from are, are the rock and roll greats like Bill Haley Elvis Presley what would you expect a place that a teenager who's feeling low and blue in the late 50s early 60s would go to to feel better LSD <laughs> too, too early for LSD Probably the pub the pub good yeah up on the roof up on a roof <laughs> pub's my best bet for that cultural context so far it's really it's actually before the acid hits the headlines but we will yeah. go into that a lot in, in the popular imagination well I'd have thought when I, when I first thought about this I'd have thought well that's going to be the cavern or the, the nearest jukebox joint and the rest of the song will be about because I, cause I came across I remember reading the lyrics before I, I heard the song because it's a very obscure song and I think oh it's going to be about the cavern or some club and going and dancing the night away and having a milkshake and putting a jukebox on uh, and then the answer is actually quite a surprise for a song, as I say, recorded in February 1963. Mm -hmm. um, the Beatles had just released Love Me Do, they'd just released their first number one, which is Please Please Me. You know, fairly straightforward rock stuff about, come on girl, you're not giving me enough. Raw, earthy stuff. And as a lot of you probably know, their first album to go with the first two singles was knocked out in 12 hours and included the incredible groundbreaking stuff like Twist and Shout which was another it was a cover but it's a sort of pure very earthy sort of sex song in the tradition of Rock Around the Clock etc but the answer to the question is I'll give you the whole verse there's a place where I can go when I feel low when I feel blue and it's my mind mm -hmm. and there's no time when I'm alone so, oh, another thing I perhaps should point out is most of the Beatles songs were written by <coughs> Lennon or McCartney or Harrison. 
some of the major singles in the early days and some of the later songs were written head to head but usually they'd write separately they wrote separately before the, the big singles like I'm Gonna Hold Your Hand and She Loves You and they wrote separately after and, and got very, actually got very uh, there's quite a lot of competition with each other so that, that's the answer uh, an early 1963 song most of the other songs on the album all the other songs on the album are just straight boy girl material and there's this song where Lennon's going he's positing mind as place he's positing mind as a refuge from the troubles of the world just in, just in a few lines very simply and he's also saying that in this place time can be transcended there's no time when I'm alone the next that's about six years before the Maharishi yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going to go real chronologically and and take it along it, hopefully we'll get to the Maharishi in about two hours now the, this to go back to uh, there's a place the second verse he suddenly goes oh, uh, I'm writing a rock song here I've got to get back to the boy girl material and we do go back to the girl part of the boy girl stuff although she's still kept within minder's place the, the lyrics are um, I think of you and things you do go around my head the things you said like I love only you now the I love only you ought to be the big crowning glory moment of an early 60s pop song you know it should be the thing that the the lover is waiting for but it's not at all it's just stuff going around in his head that he's thinking coolly about and we could even think of this things you said go around my head stuff as mind chatter the sort of mind chatter that if one comes to meditation from whatever path in some formal terms that's what you try and turn off so that you can reach the divine within so that you can reach the true nature of mind so essentially Lennon seems to be making his own experiments probably before he's even heard of the word meditation uh, in these areas and he remains consistent with that he's always interested in borderline states of consciousness and in dream states and so on and so forth it's rather reminiscent of Tennyson I mean I, I can't imagine that in the height of the Victorian era meditation or self-exploration was a, as really espoused very greatly but Tennyson used to be able to uh, induce a state of meditation or reverie within himself by uh, intoning the syllables of his own name as a mantra Tennyson, Tennyson, Tennyson and he was off and he'd start writing so essentially really if you're an artist or a songwriter or some sort of creative person you ought to have an interest in the borderline states you ought to have an interest in producing states of mind which are they used to call it artistic reverie didn't they you go into an artistic reverie stream of consciousness. and stream of consciousness Okay, middle middle section of the song hammers home the point. In my mind, there's no sorrow. Don't you know that it's so? There'll be no sad tomorrow. And then the last verse is, in fact, the first verse repeated. So it it seems fairly conclusive to me that Minder's place is being espoused. It's it's in fact being espoused as something that's more lasting and more important than the boy girl stuff, which is what the the basics of pop songwriting ought to be about and when you've got this sort of you take this on board you even start thinking about other much more obviously boy girl songs of the era the things we associate with the early mop top Beatles yeah. stuff like She Loves You you know She Loves You and you know you should be glad yeah it's actually the whole boy girl stuff is kept little, a little bit at one remove it's not actually the big crowning glory that it ought to be
favourite thing about early Beatles songs is even if you don't like them, they're over in two minutes, so it's, you know... <laughs> no, no, no wet, wasted effort or anything. Okay, now, after... That's almost like a little blip, it seems, in the, in the work of the Beatles in the early days. The, the Lennon-McCartney hit single songwriting team does go into overdrive. And then, out of the separately written songs... It, it comes apparent that Lennon is interested in he quite often writes positive upbeat songs I mean that was quite a positive sounding song wasn't it like I Feel Fine and A Hard Day's Night and so on and so forth the nice upbeat stuff but he's also attracted to the, the sort of down end of songwriting the opening tracks on that Please Please Me album you've got McCartney's I Saw Her Standing There the very opening track brilliant rock and roll song really I mean that's the sort of song that There's a Place might have been it's all about going to a, a club and picking up a girl and they dance the night away and all that sort of thing and then Lennon's first kind of piece on the album is his sort of first bit of songwriting uh, you know the first bit on his CV is a song called Misery Open, opening lines the world is treating me bad Misery. I'm the kind of guy who never used to cry. The world is treating me bad. Misery. It's kind of a precursor to help. Now, I, I think he's propelled into these regions because, uh, as probably a lot of you know, of his very difficult early years and uh, desertion by both parents, being brought up by a strict auntie, um, becoming friends with his mother as, as a teenager becoming very attached to her and she was, she was in fact the first person who taught him any music he, he learnt his first chords from his mother you know he, he became very attached to her and then of course she was killed in an accident by an off-duty policeman so he had a lot of tragedy in his early life his, his best friend Stuart Sutcliffe who he kind of dragged into the Beatles because he was his best friend and because he was good looking even though he couldn't really play anything Stuart Sutcliffe he, he eventually left and he was a very gifted and promising ar artist and he, he died in his early 20s of a brain hemorrhage in 1961 so Lennon has a lot of lot of you know what we call stuff now to deal with he's not coming from a sort of complacent easy background and that's where his, his quest begins actually I've got a lot of quotes here about this the world is treating me bad and how in the perennial philosophy that's that's where your search begins that's where the you know you're propelled on the path Jung says I, I'm afraid I haven't been able to I quite often get quotes from all sorts of sources and I nearly always say where they're from but I can't yet place this one of Jung but Jung insists on what he calls an impossible situation to bring out the, the best in an individual psyche. What is needed is an impossible situation where one has to renounce one's own will and one's own wit and do nothing but wait and trust the, to the impersonal power of growth and development. Yeah, haven't we all? There's the adage, God comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfort... Only, uh, only the other day, in fact, was it this morning or yesterday I was reading uh, The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius remarkable book where is that where that quote comes from uh, no I'm going to give you, you know where that quote, who said that quote the, the God comforts, comforts that I know is an adage um, I, I know it via a Dan Milman book one of his uh, where, the se oh, where yeah. the secret warriors but it's an adage it's not, it's not his formulation it's where the peaceful warrior yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas Boethius says pretty much the same good fortune deceives but bad fortune enlightens and just to hammer home the point, can't resist it. I've, I've got this. This is from the Tibetan Rosary of Gems, and it's quoted via Dr. Paul Brunton's The Wisdom of the Overself. Uh, know that sorrow, being the means of convincing man of the need of inner life, is a spiritual teacher. In There's a Place, happy little rock and roll song, Lennon is clearly fleeing from the sorrow, from the sorrows of the world into mental space, into inner space where he can deal with it, where he can possibly transcend it then his songwriting as I say sort of becomes immersed in the sort of downside of pop songwriting which is nearly always the girl leaves me you know, baby done left me 
So we get songs like Ticket to Ride, where she leaves. I really don't care. Um, she said that living with me was bringing her down, etc., etc. We get Norwegian Wood, where he nearly gets off, basically, with somebody one night, but not quite. He ends up having to sleep in the bath. And this sort of image of the, the, the girl that's not quite available or attainable just becomes stronger and stronger. And we're really getting an idea of this ideal women, woman excuse me, becoming formulated in his mind. And, and he says as much in interviews, yes, this, this was what was going on, of course, based on his mother. And eventually, of course, the search led him to Yoko Ono. That was where his search for a guru and his search for a lost mother and a search for personal authenticity all came into one. As I, you know, so this personal authenticity bit is important as well because some of the love songs start to be not just the girls left me songs. There was a turning point came when a journalist called Kenneth Allsop sort of confronted Lennon and said these Beatles songs are just, they're just fluff, they're nothing, they're not really about anything. Why don't you write something about your own life? So he starts writing about his own life and he starts examining his own life and realising it's actually inauthentic. He's, it's quite an extraordinary thing. He's, he's done the impossible. The Beatles are bigger than Elvis. He's got every material thing he could possibly want. He's got the fame, the fortune, the riches. So he writes a song like, I'm a loser. I'm a loser and not what I appear to be. Though I may smile and act like a clown beneath this mask, I'm wearing a frown. And in You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, this idea of the mask comes around again. Um, we've got the, the, the love that's having to be hidden, the woman's not available, and we have a whole chorus of clowns around all you clowns, let me hear you say, hey, you've got to hide your love away. So there's a real sense of a creeping feeling of inauthenticity I haven't got the actual quote but Lennon actually said um, about his ideal woman that he was looking for I just knew she wouldn't be someone who was listening to Beatles songs <laughs> so the ideal woman is going to think what he does for a living is rubbish she's going to be his intellectual and spiritual <coughs> superior now by 1965 the boy girl stuff is no longer even the stuff of the, the hit singles when he writes a straightforward plea for help in the song help um, it's a very straightforward and direct plea to anyone and possibly to God won't you please help me to help get him out of this morass that he finds himself in he called it his fat Elvis period it, he, he does actually put weight on during, during this period and he's starting as I say he ought to be happy and he's not so therefore he's on point 3a of our perennial philosophy seven easy points for idiots he's going no this isn't right something's awfully wrong I should be happy I'm not part of the inauthenticity of course was he was married and it wasn't he was married to not his ideal woman and for the fans he had to pretend he wasn't married all, all sorts of nonsense that you know here's a growing person can obviously see it's just childish ridiculous stuff okay now this sort of maturity in the songwriting develops and develops and by the rubber soul period the songs really have some tremendous substance and we're going to hear one of those songs now girl is an the song girl is an attempt to encapsulate this uh, ideal woman but the interesting thing about it is that he formulates an attack on the, the what you might call the Protestant work ethic and apparently has nothing to do with it he, the last verse veers off and we have this uh, verse where he says of the supposed ideal girl was she told when she was young that fame would lead to pleasure did she understand it when they said that a man must break his back to earn his day of leisure will she still believe it when he's dead so obviously the girl here is kind of being duped by the Protestant work ethic you'll break your back to get your day of leisure and you'll die for it interestingly again when interviewed in the uh, Lennon Remembers interviews Lennon says 
songs about the church it doesn't say it's about the Protestant work ethic which you know has actually become divorced from Protestantism as such and kind of secularised he says it's about the church he associates the church with the Protestant work ethic in my life it's a positive visualisation of the ideal woman um, Lennon characteristically counters his songs in the present tense and therefore this song doesn't become a sort of it started off as a, as a song about his past but it's actually a song about transcending one's past and he doesn't couch it in terms of one day my princess will come as it were he, he uses the present tense let's see if I remember the whole of the second verse in the first verse recounts various images and things of the past and in the second verse he says but of all these friends and lovers there's no one compares with you and these memories lose their meaning when I think of love as something new though I know I'll never lose affection for people and things that went before I know I'll often stop and think about them in my life I love you more this use of the present tense we'd probably call positive visualisation now he's, he's talking about the ideal woman who's going to come and save him and he doesn't say you will come she's there and you know, in, in his case as far as he was concerned it happened his positive visualisation became fact in the shape of Yoko Ono however to ask for one person to, to help one completely transcend one's past is probably asking quite a lot from a person or from a relationship so I think it's possible for one to interpret it also as a subconscious again like help plead to God in my life I love you more George Harrison really took it that way and in his 1974 tour of America uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure to, to what extent he rewrote the song or not but he made it by then everybody knew oh yeah George is the spiritual beat and he, he very specifically made it a song about God in my life I love you more capital Y this capitalisation, well, if you get a chance to ever read the book, if anybody's got vision enough to publish it, crops up a lot. And before the song we actually got here, there's Nowhere Man as well. Inspiration. Paul's Yesterday was a directly transmitted song. He woke up with it in his head one morning, the melody complete, thought it was somebody else's song, asked everybody, and they said, No, never heard that. What's that? So he, he put some lyrics to it. Voila, most popular song of all time, blah, blah, blah. And it came from the depth. It came from the subconscious. It came from sleep. And uh, my theory is that was the first song Paul wrote that was really got any... I like a lot of his early stuff. It's brilliant on the, on the terms it, uh, it works on. But this is the first one where, you know, it's almost got a tragic feel to it and I do get the impression that that feeling that he's accessed is actually perhaps due to suppressed grief about his own dead mother he, he lost his mother also the lyrics of course he's still working pretty much within the convention they're lost lover lyrics but the whole quality of the song is a, a sort of light years away from quite a lot of the other stuff he, he was writing at the time Nowhere Man's similar Nowhere Man's creative um Genesis is also described by Lennon as he was kind of trying to write something then he, then he gave up he, he, he'd let go and then he, once he'd let go he, he realised he had something of, of some worth and he, he says in a quote somewhere letting go is the whole process he's still saying that by the double fantasy album just before he was killed you just, I just had to let it go on uh, washing the wheels so Nowhere Man is a, is a another sort of inspired song and it's in my opinion it's about the dangers of minder's place if you don't know how to meditate and if you just turn it into a vague fantasy land you end up being a, a nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody unless someone or something can can help you which is why the last verse says nowhere man don't worry take your time don't hurry leave it all to somebody else lends you a hand that somebody else is going to be someone with greater information 
go to techniques someone who'll direct you know, tell you how to meditate how to, how to harness the force of uh, the mind so various candidates crop up at various points including Timothy Leary and of course Maharishi and of course uh, ultimately it ends up he, he stakes his claim on Yoko guru and main squeeze all in one handy little package now the song I want to play you from Rumbersoul is The Word let me give you a quote before we go on with it Lennon says it sort of dawned on me that love was the answer when I was younger on the Rubber Soul album my first expression of it was a song called The Word The Word is Love in the good and bad books I have read whatever, wherever The Word is Love it seems like the underlying theme to the universe I think that whatever else love is and it's many, many things it is constant it's been the same forever I don't think it will ever change so the love of being a pop songwriter which is you know feeling gooey when a girl walks by or something like that it's actually been transformed into obviously something a lot more important um, the echoes at the back of this song called The Word are, are of course biblical we're, we're thinking of in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God from the Gospel of St. John of course and of course in John 4.8 we have the formulation God is love so, within two short years, from writing about love as the sort of sticky feeling you get when you see a pretty girl go by, as in a song called um, It's Only Love, he's actually writing about far deeper matters. He's writing about God, he's writing about love as the underlying theme of the universe, and he's actually telling us how to achieve that state, or how to come near to that state, by simply saying the word love the song says say the word love and you'll be free he's, he's actually saying use the word love as a mantra I don't know whether he'd actually read Huxley's the perennial philosophy or not but here is Huxley on the very subject of using that simpler mantra the constant repetition of this word God or this word love may in favourable circumstances have a profound effect upon the subconscious mind inducing that selfless one-pointedness of will and thought and feeling without which the intuitive knowledge of God is impossible so despite Lennon being hostile to the external church he's still influenced by it and as Paul said he ends up writing an almost Paul was rather sarcastic about it so this is like a Salvation Army type song and here it is the word from Rubber Soul
definitely LSD had a profound impact on the Beatles um, which is a controversial thing to say because you know I don't want to be seen to be promulgating drugs but it does seem like some <coughs> outside agency had to upset the established mindset that we, we've been left with since the uh, ironically entitled Enlightenment here's Ken Wilber again the downside of the Enlightenment paradigm was that in its rush to be empirical it inadvertently collapsed interior depths into observable surfaces and it thought that a simple mapping of these empirical exteriors was all the knowledge that was worth knowing this left out the map maker itself the consciousness, the interiors and a century or two later it awoke in horror to find itself living in a universe of no value, no meaning no intentions, no depth, no quality it found itself in a disqualified universe ruled by the monological gaze the brutal world of the lab technician so basically religion was dead, God was dead blah 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 and it was Nietzsche who said God was dead, wasn't it? <laughs> the longer one was Ken Wilber. The longer one was Ken Wilber. It's not so this whole I call this mindset the Horatio mindset because of Hamlet's admonition to Horatio in Hamlet. He says to him, There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. Basically science says this exists this exists that doesn't that doesn't there is no soul there is if we can't see it on a graph it doesn't exist you know there's no compassion there's no love there are chemical secretions in certain you know and that to my mind is nonsense I, I won't rant on about it so if I talk about the Horatio mindset that, that's what I'm talking about I'm talking about the sort of it's all it's, even the science is now outdated isn't it it's, it's the old style science the, the Newtonian Cartesian paradigm and uh, all of which actually according to Rupert Sheldrake can be traced to the day that Descartes came to the conclusion that the universe was a machine I don't have the date with me but as a specific day Descartes said let there be machines the universe is a machine going against the whole animistic um, slant of, of humanity's previous philosophies about the nature of the universe the universe is just a machine said Descartes and why did he say that what, what kind of brought him to this conclusion well he had a vision an angel came to him in a vision so the whole of that paradigm is based on something that that paradigm says doesn't exist namely, namely a vision of an angel the angel apparently was the angel of truth so it had, it had, it had to be true so anybody who's got a scientific, rational, only view of the universe, his view is based on something that his view doesn't believe in, if you see what I mean. It's, I find that wonderfully ironic. Anyway, so my contention is, LSD was important to a number of figures in the 50s and 60s in suddenly awakening them in a way that probably nothing else would have done. We've already talked about Lenin's hostility to the exoteric church George Harrison had a similar thing Harrison got interested in spiritual matters when he he again read something by some Swami I haven't got all the book here with me it just, it's just too much but he read some Swami who said you've either got to have the direct experience or forget it, be an atheist if you don't have the direct experience don't bother and he went aha, yes, that's the stuff because that's not some priest telling me what I ought to believe that's not some dogma being established we, we could discuss at some length the fact that religions are often the kind of outer shell left behind by the avatar who founds that religion and, and then we don't really get much we get more from his successors you know, we get more of the people who come afterwards who can then possibly distort and twist what was originally said so that uh, Dr. Brunton is very 
outspoken on this, for example. Uh, so when basically the priesthood <coughs> usually says, now we tell you about the direct experience and you can only get it through us having it, you can't have it for yourself. So this is where the exoteric religion and esoteric re religion split come. The perennial philosophy says God is within and it's within you and it's within everybody and you can discover it. You don't have to come through us. You might need some guidance from us as how to discover it and what to do but we don't act as the kind of arbiters. You have the direct experience. So here's Harrison on, on LSD. He, he says, although it has a downside, I see my acid experience as a blessing because it saved me many years of indifference. Who am I? Where am I going? And where have I come from? All the rest is, as John said, just a little rock and roll band. So, the dreaded LSD. Now the next song we're going to listen to is called Tomorrow Never no Knows, which is an extraordinary song, um, recorded early in 1966 very powerful and its sort of genesis needs some explanation it was originally entitled The Void and so those of you who are acquainted with say Buddhistic philosophies may have come across the concept before now Lennon was experimenting with LSD quite possibly it, he and George were spiked at a party early in 1965 so it's quite possible that songs like Help were also inspired by the extraordinary disorientation that that must have been. Nobody, he didn't know what was, you know, no one had ever heard of it in 1965 and suddenly somebody slips an LSD into his coffee and then he goes around to somebody's house and all hell breaks loose. You know. He described that first trip as terrifying but fantastic and also came to the conclusion that George's house was a big submarine, Q Yellow Submarine which I contend is a song about exploring the depths in the vehicle okay so he then con started to experiment with it but he didn't he didn't experiment with it in a way that was really conducive to how can I explain this Leary the dreaded acid guru who's, who's, who's been very much you know rubbished by the media and the press was at great pains to find out you mustn't do this stuff just casually at a party you do it as a as a sort of sacrament, you do it in a supportive setting with a guide, with a guru, blah blah blah, and of course most people ignored his instructions and, and terrible psychotic episodes resulted as he predicted it would. He said if you don't do it this way, psychotic episodes will occur. The trouble with Leary is he got he discussed, he sort of um, mistook the ends for the means and he he continued to keep <laughs> keep having far too many extraordinary mind expanding uh, experiences. The trick is, I think, when dealing with the doors of perception is to have them open and then to walk through the door, not to get slumped in the doorway, which I think is a mistake a lot of people make. Or, as again Ken Wilber puts it, to turn altered states into permanent traits. That's the point. It, the point is to show you who you are fundamentally and what's going on, really, to give you a, a vision of the real reality in my opinion George's as well uh, he, he he rubbishes people who just used to use it as you know lots of pretty lights and a sort of Alice in Wonderland experience and they were still as stupid as they were the day before you know that's not the point why do I mention all this Tomorrow Never Knows which I'm going to refer to as The Void that was its original title is takes its opening line from Timothy Leary's The Psychedelic Experience the psychedelic experience was a rewriting of no less a text than the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Bardo Pudol, to be used as a manual for consciousness exploration. Now, this may seem rather extraordinary to some people, but in fact, Leary had studied with the Lama, what's his full name, Angarika Govinda, who has this to say about the Tibetan Book of the Dead in the introduction he wrote for it for the 1955 edition. Although the Bardo Thadol, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, is at present time widely used in Tibetan as a breviary and read or recited on the occasion of death, one should not forget that it was originally conceived to serve as a guide for not only the dying and the dead, but the living as well. 
It is one of the oldest and most universal practices for the initiate to go through the experience of death, in inverted commas, before he can be spiritually reborn. Symbolically, he must die to his past and to his old ego before he can take his place into the new spiritual life into which he has been initiated. The different bardos represent different states of consciousness of our life. The Bardo Fadol is addressed not only to those who see the end of their life approaching, but to those who still have years of incarnate life before them, and who for the first time realise the full meaning of their existence as human beings. So I think Leary, in his experimentation and his, his finding of the uses of LSD as a sacrament, he rewrote the Bardo Fadol on those terms, feeling that he, he had... Um, you know, his Lama's approval. And he wasn't if he'd have written something from scratch he'd have been criticized for that. Instead of course he got criticized for bastardizing somebody else's tradition. But I, I feel he was making an earnest attempt to uh, guide people. Now then perhaps it's time for the actual song and then we can we can discuss some of the <coughs> stuff it raises. If you think what the sound of this song is like and it's about three years after the sound of the first song we listened to there's a place you think about the vast leaps in subject matter and in the sound we're, we're, we're hearing it's really quite an astonishing revolution that the Beatles have gone through in those three years Girl stuff there, is there? Okay, now the opening line, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream, is, is actually taken directly from Leary's introduction to the psychedelic experience, where he's, or oh, it might actually be a part of the text, uh, I can't quite remember, where he's giving you instructions as to how to deal with this, what the Lama calls the, the 
overwhelming nature of the experience. Where's the actual quote? Let's, let's use it. Yes, the Lama says, if the gates of an individual subconscious were thrown open, the unprepared mind would be overwhelmed and crushed. And of course, when people dabble with, with uh, mind-expanding drugs, without any context, without really putting it into any sort of spiritual perspective, without being prepared, blah, 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 that's what happens. It is an overwhelming and, as Lenin said, terrifying but fantastic experience. So, Leary is trying to avoid bad trips by writing a, a manual to help people to do this in a way that's actually useful. The psychedelic experience and, and of course the Tibetan Book of the Dead are very much concerned with one being able to grasp the ultimate nature of reality, be able to see the void behind all appearances, the ultimate nature of mind, which is uh, hard enough for someone who's very much versed in these concepts and has had a lot of spiritual training most of the Tibetan Book of the Dead sort of goes oh, you missed it that time but maybe you'll get it this oh you missed it that time again well maybe with these these visions you'll get it so it's like a series of oh you missed it on the first time you saw the clear light and maybe you'll get it the second time third time, fourth time and you slowly go down and down into it being less and less likely that you'll attain liberation and uh, Therefore, Leary's book also follows that sort of uh, format, which might be rather difficult for a Westerner. You know, what am I, the, the void, the clear, what are you talking about? You know, God knows what's going on, you know. So, possibly, it would have made life more difficult for somebody trying to establish what's going on during an acid trip. I'm not sure. I, I feel it was earnestly written as a proper attempt but my feeling is that um, I don't know if any of you have heard of Stanislav Grof he was a Czech psychologist working with the therapeutic effects of LSD in the Eastern Bloc in the 60s having tremendous success by using using it in a controlled way curing alcoholics, schizophrenics etc etc he came to the free west just in time to see LSD become a class A drug and therefore banned but in a way I think that's good because he then went on to develop what he calls holotropic breath work which is somewhat like rebirthing apparently I haven't done rebirthing but I have done holotropic breath work and I, and I can vouch for its uh, power and, it, and its potential it definitely was a life changing experience for me so uh, but he didn't have a sort of set of guidelines saying oh this will happen that will happen whatever he just when people experimented with the drug with him whatever came up came up whatever subconscious material was materialized or, or superconscious material materialized that was okay so it's probably a better way of going about it anyway that's a bit of a bit of a sidetrack one thing i want to point out the uh, the psychedelic experience was written by leary as i said ralph metzner and uh, richard alpert who's now known as barbara ramdas so oh, he I think got the right idea with the sudden widening of perspective and did go through the door of perspective perception rather than getting slumped in it. So George uh, Harrison has this to say about Tomorrow Never Knows. Tomorrow Never Knows is saying what meditation is all about. The goal of meditation is to go beyond, that is transcend, waking, sleeping and dreaming. So the song starts with saying, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. It is not dying. Then it says, lay down all thoughts, surrender to the void, it is shining, that you may see the meaning of within, it is being. So quite a lot of that is fairly directly from the uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, stroke the psychedelic experience. Verse 2, though, the, the, the last verse, is Lenin coming to his own conclusions. Nowhere in the uh, Book of the Dead or in the psychedelic experience have I found the void referred to as love the void is referred to as other rather nice sounding things the void is not nothingness but that's not possible because love is manifest being whereas the void itself is beyond is transcendent so he's not he can't be correct in saying that well, I love is a manifestation of the foremost reality I would say it's the highest manifestation I, I would say love is possibly 
the unmanifested also. It can't be because it has to find expression or something. The unmanifested is unmanifest. There's no attribute. The void has no attribute. Mm-hmm. It's being. It has no attribute. It's just pure existence. Only when it begins to manifest does it manifest in waves of love <coughs> to sustain everything in the universe. Yeah, that's interesting. Through sound and light. Mm. So the void is completely beyond everything. It's pure being, pure existence. It can't be anything. It can't even be but, it's, but it's also our own intellect it's and our pure, own mind. It's, it's pure existence. It's, it's potentially pure energy, pure love. Pure well, you just said it's pure, pure love. It's not manifest. It's like no, I, I'm not saying it ha- love has to be manifest. No, I think the word love is the problem. Love the is something manifest. Love, I can see what mm. you mean. It is the void. No, love, love is the love is everything. Love is expression of being. No, not necessarily. Yeah. No, because we get, we get hung up in the world. <coughs> mm, yeah. It's relative. No, I don't agree. I know what you mean. It has to be
the sage is described, the attributes of a sage is described and, and how a sage would conduct himself. And basically, nothing phases the guy. You know, uh, heat or cold, light or dark, failure or success, nothing upsets the equilibrium of one who's become God-conscious, become Krishna-conscious, become attuned to his own divinity within, because all, all these things are exoteric. Now, Rain is another message song by Lennon. It was the B-side of Paperback Writer. And it seems to be positing a similar thing. And Lennon says, you know, when the rain falls, they run and hide their heads. They might as well be dead. When the sun shines, they slip into the shade and sip their lemonade. I can show you that when it starts to rain, it's really just the same. I can show you. It's just a state of mind, he says. When it's rain or shine, when rain, I don't mind, shine, the weather's fine. It's just a state of mind. So it's interesting, we've got this connection with that very early song, There's a Place, Mind Does Place. And indeed, now, possibly, we're into the realms of what Dr. Brunton calls mentalism, where mind is the ultimate reality, and mind is everything. So your void, the void, is also void mind. And it, mind is actually even beyond consciousness. Consciousness is a manifestation. Okay, so, let's have a listen to rain.